0: to What She Said. I'm your host, Candace Sampson. I don't know about you, but this is definitely not the crisp fall weather I had hoped for. Proving she has an odd sense of humor, Mother Nature, also known as Miss Climate Change, if you're nasty, threw much of the country into a heat wave this week just as the kids were heading back into the classroom. Thankfully, we did get a rest from some things that want to keep getting hotter when the Bank of Canada held the key interest rate steady at 5%, offering a momentary pause for those grappling with mortgage payments to catch their breath. As always, though, here at What She Said, we'll navigate these challenges together. Today's show promises enlightening discussions, inspiring stories, and a glimpse into the beauty that surrounds us. Here's what's coming up. Dr. Pam Pometer joins me first to shed light on the deeply concerning issue of Winnipeg's refusal to search the landfill for missing Indigenous women. As a leading voice on Indigenous issues in Canada, Pam's insights promise to be both enlightening and thought provoking. Next, we continue our Smile Spectrum series with Dr. Mandeep Johal. Today, we explore the surprising link between dental health and sleep apnea in children. While you may think that snore is cute, it could definitely be a symptom of a much larger issue you'll want to know more about. As always, Mandeep's expertise offers a fresh perspective on how oral health can influence a child's overall well-being. Film aficionado and Brody is back giving us the lowdown on TIFF. From Sandra Huller's Oscar-worthy performance, in An Anatomy of a Fall, to the heartwarming doc, Summer Camp, and Netflix's adaptation of the best-selling novel, All the Light We Cannot See, Anne is bringing us the best of the best from TIFF. And a look at what you can catch at home, too, with the much-anticipated return of The Morning Show on Apple TV. Next, Julia Levin from Environmental Defense joins me to champion a cleaner, sustainable future. Through their innovative My Green Flag campaign, Environmental Defense challenges us to reflect on our daily practices and make eco-friendly choices. Lastly, we embark on a virtual journey to the picturesque eastern townships in Quebec with Lysandra michaud As the fall season begins to paint the region in vibrant hues, Lassandra guides us through the rich history, culture, and undeniable charm of the region so that you can plan your perfect fall getaway. So grab your pumpkin spice latte iced of course find a cool spot and dive into this week's edition of what she said right here on blast the radio Winnipeg's refusal to search the landfill for missing Indigenous women has sparked outrage and concern, shedding light on the ongoing racism and mistreatment of Indigenous people in our country. To help us navigate this topic, I'm joined today by Dr. Pam Pometer, a Mi'kmaq lawyer, professor, author and social justice advocate. With her extensive background in Indigenous law, politics and governance, Pam is a leading voice on Indigenous issues in Canada. Pam, thank you so much for joining me today to shed light on this really critical matter.
1: Well, I'm glad that you're covering it. I mean, I was on your show before. You have a real dedication to Indigenous issues, and it's so important to maximize who gets to hear about this.
0: Absolutely. And, and for those who are unfamiliar with the situation, can you briefly explain the significance of Winnipeg's refusal to search the landfill for
1: missing Indigenous women? Yeah, so think about police investigations generally. When someone goes missing or someone is murdered or presumed murdered, um, there is a search, there's lots of investigations, there's interviews, and when they think they know where the person is, so let's just say... Horribly speaking, that the person you think is in the river or in a, a dump or in a recycling bin. Like there's been horrible places in which women of all backgrounds have been found. But when police have a really good idea, that's when they go and they search. And they search and search and search until they think that they've done an exhaustive search. Well, here we know in the province of Manitoba generally, but especially in Winnipeg, extremely high rates of murder to missing Indigenous women and girls. We had a national inquiry into murder to missing Indigenous women and girls that said, look, police don't take this seriously enough, if at all. You've got lots of bad actors in society, human traffickers, gangs, you know, of all of these people and sometimes just regular segments of society, sexually exploiting, abusing kidnapping and sometimes murdering people. So we have a really good idea uh, that there were Indigenous women in the river, for example, and the police wouldn't search it. Indigenous peoples did and found, sadly, people. Similarly, in this garbage dump, uh, it is well known, I guess, on the ground that it's a common place where they just dump Indigenous women because they know police aren't going to look for them and they'll just be buried in the dump. Well, if, if you've got that information and you're not searching it, people have to ask, well, why? Because you break out all the stops. I mean, look at that submarine that plummeted to the bottom of the ocean and how much money and time and energy and media went into not recovering survivors because we knew they weren't there. You wouldn't even be able to recover bodies, unfortunately, but it was just to, like get little pieces of the wreckage. Well, here we have... Women and girls who have been dumped in a garbage dump and their families are like, first of all, how disrespectful is that? And second of all, we just want our, we just want our family members home. And so why people aren't doing that is really beyond us. It's incredible to me. It's it's quite shocking,
0: especially in light of that submarine this summer. It was it was huge. Just looking at those two stories side by side. So, how does this recent decision then tie into the broader history of systemic racism and mistreatment of Indigenous communities in Canada?
1: Well, one of the things that the National Inquiry brought out is that this. Anti Indigenous racism is prevalent. I mean, that's why they concluded that there was, that Canada, Canada meaning the federal, provincial, municipal governments and some segment of society is guilty of genocide historic and ongoing so how does the ongoing play out how does it actually manifest well it's hospitals refusing to treat native people assuming that they're drug seeking so then they die right outside the hospital it's social workers scooping up native kids at higher rates during residential schools just on the racist presumption that native women can't take care of their kids and here when there is violence towards indigenous women no help from the cops or the cops themselves are doing the sexualized violence or abuse or exploitation and then when you have this situation now where you've got thousands and thousands of murdered and missing indigenous women and girls And despite all of the commitments after the National Inquiry, keep in mind, right after the National Inquiry, the Prime Minister, Trudeau, said, yes, we agree agree with the findings, we accept those findings, we're going to do better. Every province said, we're going to do better, yet police forces, we're going to do better. And the first opportunity they have to do better, and they don't. And they made a whole bunch of excuses, saying that it wasn't quote-unquote feasible and we're like what how, how is recovering the bodies of indigenous women and girls not feasible you have a whole history of not acting on it um, and it comes to find out when they did the budget uh, of that it is feasible they can do it the federal government even stepped up and said hey we will help fund this search We, but we can't do it because it's under provincial jurisdiction but we want the province to do that uh, and then they said it wasn't feasible because, you know, you wouldn't be able to dig through it safely. And you have all of these people from archaeologists and environmental specialists and anthropologists saying, yeah, in fact, you can. You've done it many times before. Right. You know how it's done. Get it done. And they still refuse. So it really shows just how deep seated this racism is by all actors here. Absolutely. I implore
0: people listening to this to really start paying attention to the headlines across the country when it comes to Indigenous people and how they are treated, because there is a clear pattern happening here. And you mentioned something interesting about, you know, you mentioned Trudeau and the federal and provincial governments, and there seems to be this passing of the buck between the two. So Federal Crown Indigenous Relations Minister Mark Miller labeled the provincial government's decision as heartless. So how crucial is federal involvement in this issue and what role should they play?
1: Well, historically, you've had the federal government not caring as much as provincial governments not caring. So in the past, it was just we don't care. We're not doing anything about it. And we had to advocate for ourselves. That's why we're so organized at the community level. That's why there's so many Sisters in Spirit vigils and marches. That's why we had a national inquiry. Well, the federal government has changed its tune. So the previous conservative government under Prime Minister Stephen Harper said when it comes to murder to missing indigenous women and girls, it's not really a phenomena. It's not on his radar he wasn't going to have an inquiry. We have a new government. It's under the liberal government, Trudeau, who says, yes, we'll have a national inquiry. And we promise to take action. We'll do a national action plan. Um, So we were happy to hear the federal government speak out publicly. Often politics happens behind the scenes. So they spoke out publicly saying, we have got to search this landfill. We will help fund it. It is absolutely unacceptable that the province of Manitoba is refusing to do it especially since there's going to be help on the ground. The problem is under the Canada's constitution jurisdiction over local matters is within the province. So the federal government can't do it without the province unless it declared some kind of national emergency or something. It really needs the province to step up and agree to this, and get all parties involved and coordinate.
0: You you mentioned the uh, missing, murdered Indigenous women. I always mess this up. There's <laughs> so many parts of it, <laughs> but you mentioned this this National Inquiry report. There were there were a number of recommendations made, and I think it's a good time to remind people how many of those recommendations have been
1: acted on. Well, that is a really good question because if you think about like the TRC, you know, Truth and Reconciliation Commission about Indian residential schools, all the atrocities that happened. They had 94 calls to action. And everybody, thank goodness, everybody jumped on those and said, listen, we got to look for which calls to action involve us and take action. So you've got universities and schools and businesses and governments and you name it, uh, doing that, even in the media, because there was a role for them. When it comes to the National Inquiry into Murder to Missing, I think they had like 227 calls for justice and you don't see the same amount of attention to that which just reinforces their ultimate conclusion which is indigenous women and girls like indigenous peoples generally suffer from genocide and generally suffer from anti-indigenous racism which manifests in a whole bunch of ways for men women kids elders you name it when it comes to Indigenous women and girls, they're the lowest of the lowest on the socioeconomic ladder and also on the attention that's given. And that's why you don't see people doing these massive report cards saying, here's how many calls to justice that we've done. It's a question that you're asking? Then so far, nobody has even asked me. What? What calls to justice do you care about? There's supposed to be a national action plan. We haven't seen a concrete national action plan. So at this point, how do we know what the federal government is doing and not doing? Especially when you know federal and provincial governments, they make announcements over funding, like the same announcements over and over and over and over from the same pot of money. So then you get lost and say, well, what's new? What isn't new? So the the ones that count... Um, I don't think have really been enacted in terms of taking action on the ground to prevent violence against Indigenous women, to fully and fulsomely and with vigor investigate uh, crimes of violence, exploitation, kidnappings, and murders, like searching the landfill, for example. Some things have happened that fall under both the TRC And the National Inquiry, like, for example, implementing the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. Super, super, super important. We've been waiting so long, decades, for Canada to do that. So there are some things that have been adopted, which is great, but that hasn't translated on the ground for how are we protecting women, how are we investigating, if at all. Okay, we're gonna gonna take a quick break
0: and we'll be right back with Dr. Pam Pometer discussing uh, Winnipeg's refusal to search the landfill. caretoknow.ca is a free resource where Canadians receive the latest health information, updates on new and existing treatments, and advice from Canadian doctors via email. After enrolling at caretoknow.ca, you'll receive accurate and reliable information from trusted Canadian medical experts delivered directly to your inbox. Members can also access the website for information on a variety of health-related topics. Through resources like vodcasts, podcasts, and live webinars, Canadian experts discuss how to manage a number of medical conditions and provide the latest knowledge and advice to help you make informed decisions about your family's health with your own health care provider. To sign up and start learning more about the health matters that impact you most, enroll in caretoknow.ca today.
2: Now, back to
3: Candace Sampson and what she said.
0: Okay, we're back with Dr. Pam Pomader. We're discussing uh, the Winnipeg government's refusal to search the landfill for missing um, um, Indigenous women. And Pam, in your opinion, what immediate steps should be taken to address this situation? And how can we assure, ensure justice um, for the Indigenous community?
1: Well, I think my first one would have been the federal government needs to come out swinging. And they have, they said that they'll partially fund this. They've uh, condemned the Manitoba government. They keep calling on the Manitoba government to take action. So that would have been the first because they have primary responsibility with regards to Indigenous peoples. And then I would have said the province of Manitoba needs to step up. I mean, if ever there was a time to show your commitment to reconciliation, to anti-Indigenous, you know, um, an end to anti-Indigenous racism, the end of violence against women and not action on the National Inquiry, now is the time. Stop throwing up excuses like it's not feasible because of money. It's not feasible because of time. It's not feasible because of you know the process. Those are all just really excuses, almost like dog whistles. The whole feasibility thing is like a dog whistle for a policy of racism. There's absolutely nothing standing in their way of doing it. You have a whole host of groups on the ground ready to help. You have experts ready to help it could be done so I really call on the the premier of Manitoba to step up and of course the the Winnipeg municipality to stand in line with federal provincial and and other municipal governments, saying get this done it's a matter of respect and reconciliation for these women and girls that are in the uh, landfill and who knows how many others
0: Well, let's talk about, you know, public perception. Um, You know, how has the public responded to this decision and what role can everyday Canadians play in supporting the Indigenous community in this matter?
1: This is the most important question because so far we've seen the media cover this extensively, which is huge because some members of the public only get their information from say news stations, like not everybody's on social media, especially like an older population. So it's the news, the media has an obligation to keep this going. Uh, It's like exploding all over social media. I mean, the hashtag search the landfill is going all over Canada and the US because keep in mind, Native American tribes and Native American women and girls go missing in similar conditions. And so they're lending their support. So that, that's that been fantastic. I've always believed that the vast majority of Canadians care very much about social justice and human rights and what happens to our families Especially women and girls. So, on that front, that's great. What action can they take? They need to retweet, repost, re Facebook every like, send all of this information all over the internet. Uh, Contact your local MPP uh, if you're in the province of Manitoba, and especially in the city of Winnipeg, you've got MPs, MPPs, you just need to keep the pressure up, because governments don't care what we say as Indigenous people. Sadly, anti-Indigenous racism is here, but They care very much what Canadians say. So if you're out there being public about it, speaking in the media about it, or using your sphere of influence, whatever that is, to bring attention and call on the government to act, that's what gets things done. And thanks to all the Canadians who've done that so far, we just need more pressure to get this done.
0: And I, I mean, it's no secret, Pam, that what she said is a feminist show. <laughs> and yeah. I just you know, want to remind people that, you know, if you are truly feminist, then this is, you, that you are speaking for all women. And so this, yeah. this matters. Um, so yeah. if you could directly address the Manitoba government and the decision makers involved, <laughs> I'm almost a little afraid to ask this question. <laughs> what would you say
1: to them? Oh, well, I would say, premier and all of the mayors of all of the towns including the one in winnipeg step up do what is morally right what is legally right what is socially right and what indigenous peoples have been calling on for decades and decades stop with the racist policies stop with the excuses step up if you find it difficult Yeah, that's what happens when murderers put our people in landfills. There's a whole history of your failed action. You could step up and do it now and say, you know what? We take your point. I understand why you're calling me heartless Heather as the premier. I understand where the federal government is coming from. We made a mistake. Of course, if this is about reconciliation and acting on the national inquiry, we need to do that.
0: Absolutely. All right. Uh, I'm going to put some links when this goes live on podcast for people to learn more. Uh, and, you know, I know, obviously, you're sharing all the time. So where can people connect with you?
1: Well, the easiest place is pampalmeter.com because you will get access to all three of my podcasts, some of which talk about this. You'll get access to all of my YouTube videos. I have over 200 publications and writings on issues related, uh, similarly to Murdered and Missing. It's basically a one-stop shop. Otherwise, I'd be giving you a thousand links for everything, but it's the place to start and then you can decide where to go.
0: All right, incredible. Pam, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for covering this. It's time for the next installment in our Smile Spectrum series as we continue our exploration of oral health's broader implications. Today, we'll delve into a topic that might surprise many, the relationship between dental health and sleep apnea in children. Joining us again is the esteemed Dr. Mandeep Johal, who has a wealth of expertise on how dental issues can impact sleep and in turn, a child's learning and overall well-being. Mandeep, it's a Pleasure to have you back.
4: Thank you so much for having me, Candice. So
0: let's set the stage a little bit. Can you explain what sleep apnea is, especially in the context as uh, of children, and why it's crucial for parents to be aware of it?
4: So uh, sleep apnea is essentially when your child stops breathing at nighttime, and we think sometimes that's just pauses, but there are different types of sleep apnea, which we don't have time to discuss, um, but. You know, one of the questions patients will probably ask me, like, what are the symptoms to kind of look out for? And you might want to look out, let's talk about a broader s- Scope instead of sleep apnea, because some people get scared of that. Let's just talk about sleep disordered breathing, which could be early signs of sleep apnea. So you want to look for symptoms like um, loud snoring, restless sleep, frequently waking up uh, middle of the night, daytime sleepiness. Um, bed wetting is a big one. A lot of parents don't know that that's related to sleep disordered breathing and sleepwalking and sleep talking as well.
0: That's really interesting that you mentioned about the bedwetting. I never would have thought those two would be related. And I just interject a little bit of a personal story because my daughter had sleep apnea and was diagnosed at five. And she had incredibly loud snoring. We would joke that she could raise the roof off the house. It never occurred to us that somebody this young could have sleep apnea. So parents, I don't think would even make that connection a lot of the time. They might just think, I got a snorer in the house.
4: And it's cute, right, when they're little. But, you know, the, the symptom that starts even before that, because I see babies in my clinic as well, so I see from 0 to 100, um, is mouth breathing. So I always say, like, sleep apnea is the fire. We want just, the, we want to, it's harder to put out a fire than a smoke. Um, so the smoke signals usually start with something mild as mouth breathing and then all the other symptoms that I had listed.
0: So let's talk then about how this impacts their lives you know how does it impact their their learning and and their behaviors
4: right so I mean now think about it. if you have sleep apnea or any type of sleep disorder breathing your quality of sleep is very poor for the child right because somebody like personal story for me is somebody like when I got into this journey um you know my mentor asked me like thank you how does your son sleep I'm like there were 202 two at that time I'm like I shut the door <laughs> I step away. I wake up in the morning, and they wake up in the morning, and we're all good to go. Like he wasn't a troublemaker or nothing. But when he's like, "Mandy, how does he actually sleep? Have you watched him?" I'm like, you know, when you have another one at home, it's not a judgment. It's just we're only human. So when I did watching periodically, is that's when I noticed some of the symptoms. But what I realized with my oldest son, what he had was he had daytime sleepiness. So then that affects your concentration in school. That's going to affect how, a child's ability to learn, and it actually actually affects cognitive development as well.
0: So I think people might be listening to this then and thinking, what does this have to do with visiting the dentist? Uh, so... What does it have to do with visiting the dentist and how can you help?
4: Well, so de- the way it's related to so remember dentists, like we're supposed to look at head and neck. So in my clinic, I screen, like I told you guys last time, I screen everybody for sleep. And one of the biggest issues that come up as soon as somebody says my child's been diagnosed with ADHD or they're suspecting behavioral issues, I know I got to do a deep dive into the sleep study. And guess what I usually find? I find these kids are either grinding their teeth. They have smaller jaws um, like, you know, the chin that's like tucked back, so protruded jaw, uh, smaller jaws and crowded teeth. So these are common symptoms I'll find in kids that have sleep disordered breathing, um, and that affects your airway, right? So the airway is what collapses when we have sleep apnea, your tongue flops into it. So I look at all those things. I look at structure, function, and those two things combined, um, are going to affect your sleep if they're not properly function or they're not where they're supposed to be.
0: So aside from surgery then, which is what my daughter had to have tonsils and adenoids removed, what, what actions can you take, uh, you know, in your office to mitigate this?
4: Thank you so much for asking me that. So how I help uh, children and adults actually for sleep issues is I do what's called early intervention or I do um, orthodontics. So what I'm doing for patients is I'm expanding them laterally side to side. And I'm also expanding them forward, forward growth. Forward growth is imperative because if you have a chin that's further back, like, you know, those small little chins that we see, if I'm growing the upper jaw forward, the lower jaw will follow. And when the lower jaw follows, what we've done is we essentially opened up the airway. So if you think about the airway where it sits, it sits on the back of the throat and the lower jaw, if it's too far back, it impinges it. Just picture somebody doing CPR. Right, what do you do? You do chill you do head tilt, chin up to open up the airway for somebody. But I'm doing that orthodontically for that child or that adult. All
0: right, this is incredible. I am sure that a lot of parents listening this to this right now are going to be tiptoeing into their kids' rooms tonight to see how they're breathing. And if they're continuously breathing, this is really important. So people need to pay attention to this one. Uh, kids do get sleep apnea. So, Mandeep, thank you so much for joining me and we'll have you back again next. Month. Thank
2: you so much. More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming right up.
0: Family Dental Guelph is where the future of dentistry unfolds. Dr. Mandeep Johal offers an unparalleled blend of expertise combined with a vision that seamlessly ties dental health to your overall vitality. Dr. Johal doesn't just look at your teeth, she understands the bigger narrative of well being. Delve into a world where every aspect of your health is cherished and your smile and vitality coexist in beautiful harmony. Find out more about the future of dental care today at familydentalguelph.com.
3: La, 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 now back la, to Candace la, Sampson and what she said.
0: It's time for Saturday Night at the Movies with Anne Brody, and Tiff is back in town, so we're going to jump right into it. Anne, what has
2: Tiff got for us this year? The best thing I've seen so far in pre-screenings is Anatomy of a Fall, starring Sandra Huller. And it's set in the French Alps, and a woman lives with her husband and her partially blind son. Well, one day, her husband winds up dead on the uh, ground in front of the uh, chalet. And she says it's suicide. The son couldn't see anything, but he, he heard things, and he becomes the prime witness. So, you know, did, how, what was their marriage like? What was What was running through her mind? uh was it an accident was it suicide so it's just incredibly intriguing and the courtroom scenes are killer just amazing and sh- Sandra Hüller is going to be nominated for best actress so that is uh that's uh this weekend so you're you're putting that out there now that's an early oscar mention oh, yeah for sure uh, unreal and the little boy honestly i've never seen a performance like that it's so he's he's I think he was 12 when he made the film. Wow. Incredible. Anyway. All right. Next one I want to talk about is Adam McGowan's uh, Seven Veils, which is a film adaptation of of the um, uh, Richard Strauss 1905 production based on Oscar Wilde's play that he is based on having staged it twice live. Once in Europe, once here. So it's about uh, a woman who's been asked to restage the one-act play. Uh, the mentor has died, so but she wants to bring in all her own ideas. Well, and then this is all intercut with shots of a little girl out in the woods being filmed while she's on a swing. So there's all kinds of undercurrents going around. And of course, if you know the story of Salome, which is Seven Veils, it's about the woman who was trying to seduce St. John the Baptist. Honestly, there are a lot of really disturbing scenes in it, but it is typically Adam going complex, psychological, and interesting. So that'll be something to catch. And that's this weekend as well. Okay. Anything else from Tiff that stood out to you? Yes. Summer Camp. It's a Canadian film by Jen Markowitz, and it's about Camp Firefly in Alberta, out in the woods, attended by very young adolescent children and young teen LGBTQ kids. And I'm amazed how many have identified themselves as trans or bisexual or whatever by that age. And they say in interviews that they knew when they were like six. So it's a place of joy. There's no bullying. There's no prejudice. They just really kick up their heels and have a great time together. It's very, very inspiring. It's a real rallying cry for these kids and you
0: know of course this is incredibly timely with everything we're seeing oh, going yeah. on right now uh, so uh, important film uh what do we got coming up for those people who are at home and want to catch something new
2: oh our favorite the morning show season 3 Jen and Reese
0: I can't even tell you I got a great big circle around
2: September 13th when that's premiering yes. I cannot wait um, and and uh, big doings as always but uh, you know one of them is trying to take control of the show so plenty for you to see uh, it their relationship is so terrific because women in that setting in the newsroom setting tend to be competitive I know I worked in one and they're not competitive they share everything they really they are best friends and confessors and despite all of this BS that they're going through all the time. They have this one spot where they feel safe, and that's with each other.
0: And you know, I was kind of, I was, I was delighted to see John Ham in it this season. Um, oh my God,
2: he's in everything. He is in yeah. everything. I'm sure I've seen him in five different things in the last month. So more power to him. But he's he's really
0: good because he's he's quite funny in some things I've seen him, and then he really plays those dramatic yes. roles well as yes. well. So. Uh, you know, he's, um, he's got more range than I would have given him a few years ago.
2: Oh, I had a funny interview him with him once. He was really hungover. It was at a tiff. He was so hungover and it was in person and it was painful. He was really trying <laughs> hard. <laughs> well, he,
0: he's, he looks, he looks like this is a great role for him in the, in, in the morning show. So I'm really looking forward to it. Um, and of course, is it Billy Crudup? I, I really like him as well.
2: Yeah, I do too. I do too. I'm, I'm angry with him in the show. Yeah. Yeah. Don't tell
0: me, don't tell me.
2: Uh, all right. And, um, um anything else? Uh, yeah. The light we cannot see, Ooh, which is yeah. going to be on Netflix soon. Um, is a, uh, true story of a of a blind girl living in Saint Malo during World War II she's Jewish her father's gone missing her uncle's gone missing so and there's an uh, she has possession of the sea of Flames diamond um and there's a Nazi officer on her tail and it, it it's incredible it's quite disturbing but that is going to be uh, at lightbox next weekend Scotia Bank next weekend and on Netflix November 2nd. So that's well worth it. Yeah,
0: that's based on the best-selling book as well. Um, So for people who love that book, I'm sure they're looking forward to this movie. Uh, Busy couple of weeks coming up for you with everything happening at TIFF. So we'll see you next week. And you're keeping us all up to date with everything on whatshesaidtalk.com, right?
2: I am. I try. All
0: All right. Thanks, Anne. In a world where the climate crisis looms large, demanding immediate and sustained action, many are seeking ways to make a difference in their daily lives. Today, we're joined by Julia Levin, the Associate Director, National Climate at Environmental Defense. Julia and her team are at the forefront of advocating for a cleaner, sustainable future. Through the innovative My Green Flag campaign, they're not only raising awareness about eco-friendly energy solutions, but also challenging us all to identify and rectify the unsustainable practices in our homes. Welcome to What She Said, Julia.
3: Thanks so much for having me.
0: How has the public's perception of clean energy changed over the years, and how has this influenced the strategies and campaigns of environmental defense?
3: There has never been so much support for clean energy, especially wind and solar, than there is right now, and and that makes sense. You know, across the country, people know that trans- switching, phasing out fossil fuels, and transitioning towards renewable energy is the only way to secure a clean, affordable, and safe energy system. And it's also a result of, you know, the, unfortunately, the climate disasters that we're experiencing, whether that be wildfires and the smoke or floods um, across the country. It's never been so clear that the climate crisis is here. So that changes people's support for the solutions. But at the same time, we are finding that there's less awareness about the concrete things that people can do to to kick gas, kick fossil fuels, kick gas out of their homes. And and the benefits, the climate, health, and also the financial benefits of doing that, and that's really why we launched this new campaign, you know, to help grow that awareness around the benefits of of phasing out fossil fuels in our home.
0: And what are the biggest challenges or misconceptions people face when considering a transition to eco friendly, green energy solutions for their homes?
3: Yeah, it's, I'd say two come to mind. Um, the first is around affordability and we are in a cost of living crisis it is so understandable that people are worried about about making big spending decisions um and so but the flip side of that is that there's actually lots of really great incentives governments at all levels are providing people with money to make that switch to to cleaner options for their homes. And then once those technologies are in place, they save money over time. Um, So there's there's barriers around around that, around costs. And the second is there's a whole lot of misinformation about climate solutions, things like heat pumps especially, out there. And that misinformation is not accidental gas utilities like Enbridge, like for this BC, they want to keep people locked onto fossil fuels because that's how they make the most money.
0: Oh, absolutely. I I couldn't agree with you more on that one. So let's talk about getting the right information out there. And that's obviously through social media where a lot of people spend their time anymore. And the My Green Flag campaign leverages a popular social media trend, which I've seen all over TikTok. So how effective has social media been in driving awareness and action for environmental causes?
3: We're, we're finding that that's a really effective tool. So we're partnering with, you know, influential Canadians like like Jesse Crickshank. and we're hoping to offer people a kind of a new and fun and accessible way for them to learn about these solutions that that isn't so technical um, and 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 frankly sometimes boring. Um, and I'm seeing that people are really engaging with this campaign. So our campaign links how we make decisions about who we date with how we make energy friendly decisions or climate friendly decisions. So um, and we play on that green green and red flags. So. If Green flags for me personally. You know, someone who likes to take public transit or wants heat pumps one day. Um, So everyone who's listening can can get involved. They can post about their green flags and red flags um, using the hashtag MyGreenFlag.
0: All right, excellent. So with the vast potential there is then for wind and solar ener- energy in Ontario, especially with, with the Great Lakes, how can the province better harness these resources for a cleaner energy future?
3: So there's a really important nuance in this campaign um, that obviously uh, we can all make sustainable decisions, um, you know, make sustainable purchases, but the only way to ha- achieve a system-wide change, like cleaning up our electricity grid, is through government action. And so, returning to your question, Ontario has so much renewable energy potential, just the offshore wind potential from the Great Lakes, that can meet most of Ontario's energy needs. But rather than ramping up renewable energy, which is actually what people in Ontario want to see, um, the government is moving in the wrong direction. They are, you know, they've cancelled hundreds of renewable energy contracts. They want to put more fossil gas onto the grid. And Ontario isn't the only province that's moving in the opposite direction. Um, And so that's why it's so important. New rules. The federal government right now is developing new rules that would that would clean up electricity grids across the country. And we really need those to be strong so that they stop premiers like, like in Ontario from, from... Oh, you can say Doug Ford because
0: <laughs> absolutely <laughs> that is what's happening here. So
3: yeah. Doug Ford, yes. <laughs> he is, is blocking progress, is keeping renewable energy off our grids. And it's bad for it's bad for the climate, but it's also bad for business. So we need strong federal rules. Um, to So that provinces are forced to do a better job of taking advantage of their renewable energy potential, which again, in Ontario is huge.
0: And I don't think anybody's blind to the fact that this is a lot of this influence of our government is coming from, you know, the the companies, the gas companies, uh, you know, fossil fuel companies who are uh, really terrified of what their future holds because people know that green technology works. So for homeowners looking to make their homes more energy efficient and eco-friendly, what are the first steps they should consider?
3: I have three tips for, for homeowners or, or in some cases... Um renters have some access to these things too but uh, the first is research those existing government inis- incentives uh there are federal incentives so that applies to all of us but a lot of provinces a lot of municipalities also provide money for folks wanting to make these decisions um, you can listeners can go to greenflags.ca to learn more about those the second is find the right contractor because lots of contractors, uh, actually don't want to install these heat pumps. They don't want to train their 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 workforce. So find the right person who will actually do the right thing for you. And the third tip is don't wait until you're a moment of crisis to do the work. Um, like if your furnace fails in the middle of the winter. And there's a relationship link there too, but do the research ahead of time.
0: All right. So after the campaign, then, uh, what's next for environmental defense in terms of promoting sustainable living and combating the climate crisis?
3: A lot of our work is at the government level because that's the level that really... Needs to put the the incentives in place and the infrastructure in place for for people to to be able to access better, um, better greener cleaner technology. Um, so so we're continuing our work to make sure that Premier Ford doesn't put more gas onto the onto the grid. So it doesn't build more dangerous gas plants. We're also continuing to make sure that the federal government puts in strong rules to clean up the grid so that Premiers can't be moving backwards. And um, listeners can check out our campaign at no more gas gasplants.ca to find out more about that side of the project, the the system side of the project, and how they can get involved in that work as well.
0: And I just want to say you put out a really great newsletter. I'm, I am I subscribe to it. You know, I get a lot of great information from you. So I, I would encourage people to subscribe to your newsletter. Um, you, you share great advice uh, and great information that people may not know, because it is hard to keep on top of our government. Uh, and what they're doing, it, you know, because it's everywhere, it's education, it's health, Care, it's environment. So, uh, you know, you're playing whack-a-mole all the time. And so thankfully, you you keep us informed through your newsletter. So just on a personal note, what, what drives you to be so passionate about the environment and to advocate for these cleaner energy solutions?
3: I think like a lot of people, when I started learning about the climate crisis, I just felt a lot of anxiety and fear and hopelessness. And so I find that working in this field really brings me, um, like hel- helps combat those feelings of anxiety and hopelessness. And I think that there's a really important message there that no matter how you, one gets involved with this, um, it's, it brings so many benefits. And getting involved looks can look like so many different things. It can look like volunteering in a local group, starting a reading club and, and, and reading some climate-related literature. Um, uh, writing a letter to the editor, um, pushing local politicians to go further, engaging in, in politics at the local level. There's so many ways to get involved. And it really helps combat that that growing climate anxiety um, that I know so many of us are experiencing. And that was my journey in, into this work. Uh, and I feel very grateful to be able to be doing this.
0: All right. Well, I thank you for your time and all of the hard work you're putting into this. And uh, I encourage people to get loud about this, get informed, get loud. And uh, because collectively, we are very, very powerful. Uh, so thank you, Julia, for joining me today. This was was fantastic. So where can people uh, find out more
3: and connect with you? Um about on the campaign, they should check out greenflags.ca. Um, and, and I really am excited to see all the posts that people put out with the hashtag my green flags, and learn more about you know what makes what makes people tick in 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 choosing, uh, in choosing relationship and more uh, more climate friendly decisions in their own lives.
0: All right, wonderful. Thank you so much. We'll have you back again soon Thanks for having me.
3: More with Candace
2: Sampson and what she said coming right up.
0: Feeling like your teen has become a stranger overnight? Allie Payne, a renowned expert featured on what she said understands your struggles. With her step-by-step framework, she's helped thousands of parents like you rebuild that precious bond. Don't wait. Discover Allie's secrets to a mutually respectful and connected relationship today at AlliePayne.com.
2: to Candace Sampson
3: and what she said.
0: It's time to take a virtual journey to a place that's close to home, yet feels like a world away. The Eastern Townships, a region known for its breathtaking landscapes, rich history, and vibrant culture, is a haven for travelers and adventurers alike. And who better to guide us through this enchanting destination than Lysandra michaud from Eastern Townships Tourism. Last year, I had the pleasure of exploring the region and was captivated by its charm and connection – so today we'll delve deeper into what makes the Eastern Townships a must visit, especially in the fall when it's bursting with color. Welcome to the show, Lysandra. Hi. So the Eastern Townships was recently recognized by the New York Times as one of the 52 places to visit in 2023. So why do you believe what do you believe sets the region apart on the global stage?
5: So we're lucky in 1 hours drive from Montreal and we've been a tourist destination since 1850. We share the border with the U.S., uh, Vermont, New Hampshire, and Maine. That's why we say we are close to you, far from ordinary. Um, it's a land, as you said, of astonishing beauty. It's a kingdom of mountains, of lakes, farms, uh, pictures, villages, uh, vibrant cities. So their area is known for its ex- exceptional landscapes, but also for its wineries, microbreweries. So there are many things. I think that's what sets up part is that we in a small region in one place you can find as many things as you would like to visit we are the canada's new england with a french flair that also sets us apart there's no other place like uh like the eastern townships in quebec or in canada that's why we were the only canadian destination at- atop of this uh 52 destination.
0: I I couldn't agree with you more. It's it's absolutely a spectacular place any time of year, but the fall is so beautiful. And also, it's a gastronomic paradise. I mean, like you said, microbreweries, cheese factories, farmers markets, it's got it all. So can you share some of the must-try delicacies for people who are visiting the region for the first time?
5: Yeah, so you're very right. If you visit the region without really sampling the local eats, then you are missing out on one of the region's most delicious attributes, right? So we have 30 microbreweries just in the eastern townships, more than 30 wineries, 16 cheese factories. So, I mean, we, we got plenty, right? We have 30 public farmers markets. So any places are rich, tasty, delicious. Uh, We also have Café de and many fine dining restaurants.
0: And you also have a lot of outdoor activities because honestly, it is just a nature lover's paradise in that area. Mm -hmm. So what are some of the things people can do who want to get outdoors?
5: Well, we are renowned for being a cycling destination. So I'd say mountain biking, um, c- uh, cycling, gravel bikes, everything that is, that you can do on two wheels. We are the place, uh, for, for doing so. And the, you can do it during the fall, during the summer, um, uh, whenever really, except during the winter where we have many other activities to, to do. <laughs>
0: It's also an area that's incredibly rich in history. Last year, we went to the monastery. Uh, You know, there is old homes, there is vintage shopping everywhere, antiques. Uh, So what else can people find in the area?
5: Well, we really have a strong and rich Anglo-Saxon heritage. So this history influenced really the culture and also the attractions of the region, so the first wave of, of inhabitants were Americans, Loyalist, Scottish and Irish settlers. So they came during the eighteenth century and that really shaped the the region, be be it homes, be it buildings but also just the way that the towns are built so if you visit the township trail the chemin des cantons we call it you'll travel through uh 30, 31 towns and villages where you can really witness gorgeous victorian homes for instance but also round barns which are very special covered bridges museum churches uh interpretive sites and more so they are they are they all are telling a captivating tale of the townships through the time
0: so, so far, we've been really touching on things that I think adults would love uh, when they visit. But what about people who come with their kids?
5: Yeah, so there are many uh, family-friendly activities in the townships. In In the whole region, we have over a thousand offerings. So be it family activities, outdoor activities, activities etc. But some of the top picks for family are the Granby Zoo. So no matter the, the season, the, the zoo is just memorable. It's, a, it's a wonderful place to see animals, but also because there are the Amazon, which is a water park in the summer. Um, I'd say also Aquatica at the Parc de Couverte Nature. It's in Coat It's an immersive adventure. It's a, a game of fishing. It's a fish farm, actually. And you have this, uh, enterprise interactive game where you can partake in a series of challenges. Um, So you can grow your school of fish, let's say, as large as possible. Uh, it's really out of the box experience. Um, And also, let's not forget the AstroLab in Parc National du Mont-Mégantic. Uh, it's nestled in the first international dark sky reserve, the AstroLab. So it's the uh, observatory that provides incomparable perspective of the sky above. So it's really interesting for kids and and parents alike. Um, they can acquire new knowledge uh, from all the activities and workshops. Uh, we also have Blue Lavant, which is Fairly uh, famous and popular among families because it's a, a lavender farm uh, in the in Magog in the eastern townships. You have tasty picnics, you can enjoy there just the setting, just the landscape, walk. So it's a beautiful place for families to enjoy the day.
0: So let's focus in on the fall then for a little bit because yes. last year I was there in the fall and the colors were just. So beautiful. And it's such a drivable destination, driving these beautiful winding roads through all these magnificent colors. So what what's happening in the fall that makes it so special?
5: Yeah, it's indeed one of the most beautiful seasons in the Eastern Townships, especially for outdoor enthusiasts. Um so I'd say to catch the colors in all their glory, there's really no place like a summit, right? A summit of of a mountain. Um my top picks would be the Mont-Mégantic National Park, the mont Montford National Park and the Mont-Ham because you got 30 um 30 on 360 sorry degrees vantage points and breathtaking views. Are or, or you can also take a gondola and ride to the top of the mountain like in Sutton to admire the, the landscape. You also won't want to miss the opportunity to ex- explore some of our regional parks where really when they are more stunning when Mother Nature's colors are on full display, really.
0: Uh, we went to Sutton last year and we did a uh, zip lining down the mm-hmm. mountain. And it was spectacular because you you obviously were seeing all these magnificent colors going by you, but also a little bit exhilarating and fun to do um, as well. Are there any festivals uh, coming up or events that people should mark on their calendars?
5: Yeah, so during the fall, there are all these uh fall foliages uh, events. So we have Flambé des Coulards, for instance, that is in Memphis Magog. It's really a must-go. It's many weekends during September and October where you can ride, for instance, the gondola to see the vista, but also you there are multiple activities. There's a microbreweries uh, festival during the Flambé des Coulards. So this is really an event. And there are many other places in the eastern townships where you have these kind of... Of events you also have the fight des Vendanges. Uh, the Vendanges is when you are um, uh, harvesting the the grapes for making the wine so this is because we are a a really um, a region known for the wines the the wine making is is something part of the of the region then the the fight des Vendanges is really an event to to go into be.
0: Well, I I love promoting Canadian tourism. And obviously, I want people to check out the eastern townships because it is just a must must see destination. So if people want to plan a trip, um, or check out what's happening in, in your area, where can they go? And how can they keep up with what you share on social media?
5: Yeah, so they can visit the easterntownships.org. It's our website. We have many itineraries, uh, what to do, what to see, where to go, where to eat. So that would be my, my top place to go and also follow us on social media, Eastern Townships.
0: All right. Excellent. I'm going to put all those links uh, when this goes out live on podcast. I'm also going to drop in the article I wrote last year about our visit so people can see the itinerary that we did uh, if they want to do the same thing. And thank you so much for joining me today, Lysandra.
5: Well, you're very welcome. Thanks for having me. If you
0: like today's episode, please take a moment to share it with others. Also, be sure to subscribe to What She Said Talk with Candace Sampson on your favorite podcast provider. Stay up to date with my newsletter by signing up at whatshesaidtalk.com and be sure to follow on social at What She Said Talk on Facebook, Instagram, and X. You can also catch me on TikTok and threads at Candace Said. Finally, you can catch What She Said on the radio weekly on 1059 The Region in York, lost the radio in Ottawa, and 1077 Pulse FM in Surrey, B.C.
1: The Journey Into Yoga podcast. It's not for people who like yoga. It's for people who don't like yoga. Follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at averyrich.com. I'm Andrea
4: Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer.